and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Uri, we got a little bit of feedback on the fish episode. Yeah, I thought it was fun that we changed things up a little bit, did something a little bit different. Yeah, I listened to one fish song since then. Don't okay. even remember what it's called, but it was kind of fun. I liked okay. it. Okay, you're, so you're giving it a yeah. chance. And I actually looked up a few shows and then StubHub started thinking that I was getting into fish and sent me an email, which I which I then showed you about how I'm not going to regret it and I you absolutely need to go to the show. So, um, you know, maybe I'll be going out to Colorado. StubHub great, is really encouraging great. me. So what was some of the feedback that you got from this episode? So, you know, mixed feedback, which I think is kind of exciting. I think that's the best kind. There were definitely some people who were, you know, said, you know, oh, I'm I'm a big Talking Tachlis fan, but, you know, not super into fish, wasn't so excited about it, and also wasn't even, like, convinced that some of the connections that we were, you know, trying to discuss and figuring out whether there's a phenomenon, what the phenomenon could be about, you know, wasn't even so convinced that those were true, which I think I'm still not sure about either, and I'm not sure, you know, I don't think any of us are. We're just trying to figure something out. Some of us are. But one of the things that I thought was I thought was interesting is that some people who responded were really excited because even people who weren't fish fans and one in particular who I was having kind of a long back and forth with, uh, he was basically saying like he doesn't understand fish. He has a lot of friends who are into it, a lot of friends who go to these shows and stuff like that. But it was useful for him to kind of think about uh, fish fans and people who follow fish as this almost like with like religious devotion and try to understand how that balances between people who are very, very passionate about their Judaism, how they're passionate about their, their uh, love of fish um, and kind of like struggling with that, even though I think we didn't necessarily come to some firm answers, like trying to explore that question, I think was like kind of interesting to people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I got some similar feedback. And obviously, you know, my friends who are already into fish <laughs> were, were all for it and gave me, told me about a lot of more ideas and things that we didn't oh, touch on, which I knew we, we really only scratched yeah, the surface. And one, like uh, my friend Elon, who's a big fish fan, um, he gave me, we had a whole long discussion. He had a lot of interesting points. Um, and he's, he's funny because he gets defensive about like the fish you know reputation especially uh-huh. among Jews like something that we came up with when we were like on the way to a show once um, <laughs> he, he said it in one way and we kind of critiqued it a little bit it's sort of like chil hafish like chil hashem oh. so chil hafish is like when people have like a bad impression of fish fans or of the band Shoot. or the music and we have to like make sure or he feels the, the need to like make sure people have the, the correct uh-huh. impression of uh-huh. like why they're so great that's funny so so we cleared up some of the things but like one of the things that also that's come up that comes up a lot in the comparison to like a religion uh, or the similarities to a religion and it's like, especially for people, you know, like me who go, you know, a couple times a year, especially at certain times of year, like you'll go uh, January, right, December time, Year's. or you'll mm-hmm. go maybe once or twice in the summer. It really is like Aliyah Laregel, Lahavdil, <laughs> which is like going up to Jerusalem for the for the three um, festivals right. during it's the like year. It's like this epic climax it's like, yeah, that like you center your year around almost. Yeah, a certain time of year, or not even necessarily center, you do your stuff, you, you live your life, and then a certain time of year comes around, and then people flock. Like a, a spiritual rejuvenation. Yeah, people, the, a community of people flock to a central area and you see people you right. haven't seen in a long time a community co- forms together sounds for, like a Vodazara. for this joint purpose sounds well, like idolatry you could <laughs> i think there might be you could say there are cultish aspects to it and, and cult, the word cult obviously has very negative connotations mm-hmm. but i think there could be positive elements or aspects of way of of looking at that I'm, I'm using the word cult very loosely obviously but anyway also another thing that that elon brought up that i think is 
true is you were sort of approaching it in the way that we talked about analyze fish approach right, that, right, that right. other podcast where of like oh convince convince me, me yeah, right yeah, and yeah. like that's not really the way that that elon thought made sense to do it it's more like we're explaining the phenomenon take it or leave it this right. is what it is you can't it's not the kind of thing where you can listen to 15 seconds of a song and be like oh now i'm convinced you know yeah of course but you can also you can listen to 15 seconds or 30 seconds and say oh there's something i'm liking about the sound or there's something i'm interested in the themes and stuff like that but totally true and you guys kind of said that also like you can't really understand it till you experience it yourself you know i, I think that i think that's fair yeah, yeah. of and, course right and i was talking to a mutual friend of ours ben also who appreciated the episode found it interesting but he was skeptical of like the jewish connection sort of like you were getting at with some of the people you heard from like you know maybe that's a little tentative of, of mm-hmm. like is there really such a jewish connection or is or, but and and uh my response to that was kind of like no one's claiming that this is a Jewish band or that if you're Jewish, hey, if you're Jewish, you'll love fish. It's more like if you like music and, and you're interested in like interesting, uh, you know, experiences, like check them out. And then looking back on it or looking at the at the scene, it's like pretty interesting that there happened to be a very disproportionate number of Jews in that scene. And then we can think about and talk about why that is. Right. But nobody's claiming like if you're Jewish, this is the band for you. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think that's definitely true. Of course, it's doesn't have to be sort of any sort of a causation but the fact that there is this clearly intense correlation is i think kind of interesting i was thinking that uh, a friend of mine kind of made a joke about like comparing it to to learning and especially because i know we talked about a little bit like the gender stuff and you you were both saying like no you know a bunch of obviously it's more male but you know a bunch of Mm -hmm. female friends who are also into fish and i was talking about it to a few people who all said they've only experienced it as a male phenomenon. Like some of them, it was like, oh, their husbands are obsessed and they go a few times a year and things like that. It reminded me a little bit, and we can get into this a different topic, but a little bit of like learning. Like it's like men come home and they're like, all right, time for a shear and like, you know, things like that. And they, they kind of leave. Another uh, another religious overlap. But before we move on to our main topic, I want to bring up one more point that a listener shared with me. She pointed out that even though we did talk about it, um, that drugs being such a major part of the phenomenon, obviously as you guys both said, it it's not necessary, right? Like you, plenty of people listen to fish and go to fish shows and they're completely sober and it's not an essential part of the phenomenon, but kind of understanding why that can be a, a serious sort of um, ex- part of the experience and what that looks like, both for religious people and not for religious people, I think it is for her like really something worth exploring. And I thought that was a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Well, so we spoke last week about the phenomenon of Jewish fish fans. And this week, we're going to speak about a different object of unexpected Jewish affection, and that is President Trump. Wow. I like that <laughs> like transition. My transition. Yeah, that was great. So we've previously discussed the phenomenon of Jewish support for President Trump. And while the overwhelming majority of Jews did not vote for Trump in 2016, within the organized Jewish world, and especially among the religious community, you do find a lot of support for Trump. Journalist David Frum wrote a piece for The Atlantic last week 
arguing that, though there were some incidents in the beginning of his tenure that suggested otherwise, in fact, Trump and his camp are very pro-Jewish and pro-Israel and are not going to turn on the Jews anytime soon. To quote from, The Trump presidency seethes with hostility toward many different minority and subordinated groups, but Jews have been elevated to a special protected category, exempt from the lines of attack deployed against Muslims, non-Norwegian immigrants, women Trump deems unattractive, and so on and on. This special exemption poses a moral quandary for communally concerned Jews quite unlike anything in our collective experience. Jewish collective life in America has been built on the assumption that people who espouse any form of bigotry, whether against African Americans or gays or the disabled, will sooner or later, and probably sooner, also turn upon Jews. The famous Martin Niemöller poem begins, First they came for the socialists, only in the third line do they come for the Jews. But what if a new generation of bigotry arose, attended by a strong take-it-to-the-bank guarantee? This time, they are not coming for the Jews. Not sooner, not later. Jews generally believe ourselves to be bound by an ethical code of tolerance and decency larger than our own parochial interests. Trump seems intent on putting that belief to the test. Will we meet it? Will we meet it as a united community? Or by tempting Jews with privileges denied to other, more marginal groups, will he split religious Jews from secular, more communally-minded Jews from more universalist, more conservative from more liberal, embittering American Jews against one another, as he has sought more generally to embitter American against American. So this article got strong criticism from both sides of the spectrum. Many on the left were appalled that Frum could entertain the possibility that Trump is not a rabid anti-Semite. They cite his Charlottesville comments, good people on both sides, and the general conventional wisdom in certain camps that Trump is a white supremacist. On the other hand, people on the right are offended by the accusation that by supporting this administration, they are throwing every other minority group under the bus. They say that, first of all, Trump's racism is exaggerated by the media, and second, someone can support a politician without supporting every policy stance they have. So, Rifki, what do you think? Does David Frum have a point? Can Jews feel safe with Trump? And is the conundrum Frum describes an accurate portrayal of reality? So I definitely do think he has a point. Um, I think basically from it actually. Meaning, so you don't think Trump's an anti-Semite? So that, that's what's interesting about the way that that you're portraying the article, and of course, you know, everyone should listen to the, to to read it themselves. But I I think what he's entertaining is a possibility. Like he right. used a lot of like maybe right. could okay. it be language, where I think it's maybe something that he's sort of seeing as this might be true, but he's also asking like, well, what would it look like if it's true? Meaning the more important Mm -hmm. thing he's discussing is, so what happens in a world in which it is true that Trump is very pro-Jewish, very pro-Israel, you know, what, what would that world look like? Um, and maybe he thinks that kind of that is the world that we live in, maybe more so than the past. Like, I actually, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but I think that the premise that he's asking, which I think is I think the the more important thing of let's say it's true. Let's say we live in a world in which the president absolutely loves Jews. Now what? Now what do Jews do? Who do we stand with? Right? When the quote unquote white, you know, majority, you know, turns to the Jews and says, like, no, 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 don't worry, you're one of us. You're not one of those minorities. You're one of us. Come join us. What do Jews do? And that's kind of what that last paragraph that right. you read was kind of setting up that world yeah. in which Jews have to kind of make a choice, right? And that's that's the question it says, right? Trump seems intent on putting that belief, that belief that Jews are bound by this ethical code of tolerance and decency, putting that belief to the test. Will we meet it, right? And I think that's sort of the more difficult and interesting question. 
Right. I think it's a, it's important to understand, or this I like to understand where the author, him or herself, is coming from. So from from what I understand, David from is comes from a more conservative yeah. background, but he is he like a never for ch- um, for Bush. I think okay. either he's a speechwriter or something like that. He uh-huh. worked for Trump for Bush for a while. Yeah, but but he's the like, second Bush. But he's like a never Trump kind yes, of Republican. Definitely. Yeah, I think he wrote a book even about it. Mm-hmm. That was like his, you know, his major Trump. Uh, I mean, he, he obviously it was a lot of journalism that he wrote a lot of things leading up to Trump, and also since Trump has been president. But he also wrote uh, Trumpocracy: The Corruption of the American Republic. So it's definitely mm-hmm. clear where he comes right, from. Right. So I, I, my also he's a strongly passionate Jew. That's also a big yeah, part of his identity. Right. So I, what I understand his stance here to be is that he he himself does not support Trump, but he's genuinely sympathetic to the dilemma that many committed Jews find themselves in. He's being sympathetic in a way that many liberals are not sympathetic. I've heard many liberals say things like, I just cannot comprehend how any Jewish person could even consider supporting Trump. He's such a bigot. He's such a racist. He's an authoritarian. He's, you know, all the fascist, whatever. And of course, many of those same people would say that anyone who supports Trump is themselves a bigot and a racist. And I think Fromm is coming from a little bit more of a nuanced perspective. He's a little bit more understanding of where some of these people are actually coming from. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think what he what he's doing is sort of articulating uh, this sort of difficult situation that he maybe finds himself in or that some committed Jews find themselves in. And I think it, it seems like the implication that he's making, though, maybe I'm not I shouldn't jump to that. It seems like the implication that he's, he's making is that we still cannot really be behind Trump. Um, I'm, maybe, right. maybe that's well, not what you I think, No, there. he's implying that because yeah. he himself is clearly not a supporter. Right. Saying I, sort of like that, being put into this position where it's like, if I either have to su- stand with the other minorities, the other the, the ones who have not been elevated to this special protected right. status. Like women Trump's not exactly. attracted to. Uh, exactly. That Jews have a moral imperative to stand with the minorities who, who are the ones who really need that support, regardless of whether we need to, quote unquote. Yeah. So, I mean, I personally am definitely not a Trump fan. Um, but I think even though he is offering a nuanced take on this and he's saying it, he's saying it, it's complicated. I think it's even more complicated than he, um, paints it, paints the picture to be because in a way he's, he's almost disproving himself because he quotes the, the famous poem that says like, first they came for the socialists, they came for this, then they came for the Jews. So what, what proof does he have that just because, you know, people are saying now, whether it's Trump or whoever, oh, we're your friend now. How do we know that in a year or two years or five years they're not gonna? But not he, d- be he our doesn't friend. claim that for sure. He knows. Right. He's, He's saying, saying it's, like it's hypothetically, possible, right. yeah. What would the world look like? I, I think the other the other piece that he you know kind of touches on but doesn't really focus on is that yes, Trump is the president, but there he's not. As, as contrary to what some people might say, he's not a fascist authoritarian leader. We have many aspects of government, and there's various branches mm-hmm. of the government. But there is no question, at least in my mind, that there is a growing voice, mainly coming from the left at this point, that is hostile to Israel for sure, and by extension to Jews. And you know, some of the comments that have come from Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and whatever are not even directly related to Israel. They're more just like have been interpreted as you know anti-Semitic tropes and that kind of thing. And so I think for a lot of these Jews, they hear that, they feel threatened by that, they see that growing movement in the Democratic Party, so their natural instinct is, well, I'm going to support the Republican Party, and that happens to be Trump, 
And what am I going to do? Like, you know, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place and I'm going to stand up for myself. It's also interesting how he um, from quotes the, um, you know, the famous teaching of Hillel and uh, basically encapsulates uh, this dilemma. He says, the teacher Hillel, active in the first century BC, spoke a famous trio of questions. One was, if I am only for myself, what am I? But another asked, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? American Jews have historically laid heaviest emphasis on the first question. The Trump era highlights the second. So it's interesting because I think Frum actually reversed the order from the original text because the original text is which is, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? Which I think makes more sense. Self-preservation has to come first. And a lot of these Jews really do feel threatened. They feel threatened based on their support for Israel and that being a cent- central to their Jewish identity. And they even just feel threatened as Jews. And I think those feelings need to be validated. But it can't be the only thing. And it's also interesting to note that the third line that he doesn't quote is, if not now, when? That's where if not now gets their right. name from. So this is clearly... <laughs> come full circle. Yeah, well, so this is clearly a concept that is used in very opposite kinds of ways because it is a con- it has both in it and the question is which do you right. put more emphasis right. on right and what feels interesting to me about his argument is that he's saying that historically american jews have focused much more heavily on what he what he said was the first one right american jews have focused much more heavily on looking outward on saying like I have to, if I'm only looking out for myself, you know, what's the point, right? I need to look out for other people just as much as I need to look out for myself, that that's really critical. But his argument that the Trump era highlights the other one, highlights that, oh, I have to look out for myself, is kind of interesting because do you feel like it's true, Uri? Like, I'm curious because I don't think so. Like, do you feel like it's true that now in the Trump era, quote unquote, we are under more danger than we have been historically in Jewish or in, sorry, in American Jewish history? Right. So, so that's kind of the interesting thing. Like, and when I ask that, I mean, like, obviously, obviously, you know, things are still dangerous and we have to be conscious of, you know, there are, right. there are you know, scary things happening at synagogues across the country and there's, you know, scary language being used. But I'm thinking about like, you know, my, my parents my father, my grandfather who didn't wear kippahs, you know, like yeah. uh, on the street, my father would regularly get beat up by, you know, the local kids in Queens. Like right. that was something that would happen. And that, I mean, have you ever been beat up by local non-Jews? Like I haven't been beat up. I've, I've had anti-Semitic things yelled at me. But presumably in a much lower proportion than it happens to I, your dad. I don't, I don't think it's a helpful question to say, is it worse now than it was before? Well, but the but, saying the Trump era highlights the second, it's interesting that you would highlight something that well, is right. maybe the, less true. The important question is, are Jews in danger right now or not? But I think it's just very interesting um, how, you know, when it comes to people on the left, let's say, in some contexts, they will go on and on about how anti-Semitism is on the rise and neo-Nazis are on the rise and they'll talk about the Pittsburgh shooting and the Charlottesville riots and stuff. And they'll be very eager to tie all of those things directly back to President Trump. But when it comes to anti-Semitism from the other side, and you have blatantly anti-Semitic comments coming from sitting members of Congress, or you have growing support for BDS and things like that, a lot of these same people will be very dismissive and they'll say, well, actually, Jews have it pretty good right now and there isn't anything to be worried about and all these fears are totally exaggerated and Jews are privileged. So I do see a certain hypocrisy there, a certain double standard, if you will. And I think for a lot of Jews who really are very sympathetic to the plight of all these other minorities right now, 
it's not that they view their choice as like Trump is going to be really great for us and the, the other side is just not going to be as great for us. They see supporting the quote other side as actively dangerous for them, dangerous for the Jews, dangerous for Israel especially. And so it's not like they're just... It's not like the other side is just neutral towards Jews. It's it's actively dangerous, and they don't. And as sympathetic as they might be to all these other groups, the way they perceive it, they're not going to put their own people in danger for the sake of potentially helping others. For sure, and that that's the problem. That sometimes it's like we lose nuance. But both things are true, right? It exactly. Can be true that anti-Semitism. I, I'm not sure if anti-Semitism is on the rise. I know there are obviously a lot more claims, but it seems to be um, a little bit confusing about whether things were just being reported less or whatever. But yeah, definitely things are scary, and yet it's true that because things are scary and there maybe is a focus on us, we don't want to lose relationships with other minority groups that we can all be kind of like a you know. Uh, solidly working together yes. for a common cause. Right, and we've spoken about this also in the past, but if it is on the rise, it is arguably on the rise both from the right and the left. And so meaning you can't, I mean, maybe you could, but I don't think you can blame Trump for the squad and their support for like, you know, the the BDS movement and stuff sure, like that. the world's a complicated that, place. There's blame right, to throw so, around. <laughs> I meaning, agree. Meaning just last week, there was that vote in Congress. Um, the bill was to... The bill was an anti-BDS bill, Mm -hmm. um, and it passed with an overwhelming majority. There was a very misleading CNN headline, which was basically like divisive vote in Congress, um, you know, to to stop BDS. Like divisive, it was three ninety-eight to seventeen. I wouldn't call that divisive, Mm -hmm. but and there's actually there was divisive on Twitter. Right, there was one member of the squad who voted in favor of the bill. Surprisingly, right, Ayan Presley, who's from a congresswoman from Massachusetts. Mm So I agree with you that there's plenty of blame to go around and these things are complicated. And it seems like what you're saying is that maybe American Jews are feeling like more kind of withdrawn or feeling like we have to look out for ourselves, not only because of Trump, but because of a larger context. Right. So I'm saying from it's, is kind right, of missing I'm, that I'm, piece. The piece that from from is potentially missing is not only is Trump, does Trump seem like a genuine friend and, and good, like, you know, enacting good, good policies for Jews and for Israel. On the other side, the alternative mm-hmm. are actively against Jews and or Israel. And that's sort of the choice that people have. Right. Except that, of course, as you just pointed out from the vote in Congress, it's not true that that's the alternative of the other side right if it's either republicans or democrats and you have 17 out of 400 you know 15 or something like that to 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 make that claim is obviously it's currently a small minority but the fear is that it would grow for sure but fear versus what embattled minority groups are currently going through feels like a a difficult and i'm not trying to deny that this is a a difficult thing for us to think about because i think we have to be honest and these things are important for us to to but to deal with but what from seems to be implying and what i definitely do think is that between those two you you have to pick your conscience right? right and i think that that's critical yeah Taking a step back for a second, when it comes to the phenomenon of Trump and and let's say evangelicals or just conservatives in general right now being so pro-Israel and pro-Jewish and making these effusive statements, um, how much they love Jews and how great Jews are and how horrible anti-Semitism is, I'm definitely skeptical of, of all of that. And meaning I'm not going to reject it just because it's coming from a conservative, but I, I am skeptical of it. And it kind of I think it's opportunistic. And the way I interpret that is kind of like the real motivation is they are against liberals. They are against progressives. And what they see is they see that there is one minority group that has historically 
been oppressed that progressives sort of or some progressives seem to have a blind spot towards which is Jews or or Israel and they're sort of like pouncing on that and they're using the progressives own toolkit to work against them in order to point out their hypocrisy but the motivation for it according according to this theory would be only to point out the hypocrisy and criticize the progressive not because they care so much about the Jews so they're basically saying hey you guys care so much about minorities and oppressed people hey there's this oppressed people they, there was just a holocaust 70 years ago and you're not really being so nice to them some of you are either even saying like blatantly anti-semitic things um how could you call yourself progressive how can you call yourself like caring or whatever I, so I think a lot of that is just opportunistic and not real or right. genuine. And, and meaning if, if the circumstances change, many of those people, I think, would, would, ha- right. would readily switch sides. And so I'm definitely wary of that. But I do... So, I mean, what do you think about that? I, I think that's totally a great read. In general, <laughs> I'm, very, uh, I'm very cynical about politicians and about people who, you know, both in Congress, but also going on these talk shows and, you know, things like that and making claims. I think very often it's about serving their agenda and not really about looking out for the best interest of people. So I'm totally on board. Right, but, but at the that same is- time, when your interests line up with the agenda of a certain politician, it's just what people do. It's human nature, obviously. But it's also, I think, and I think just understandable that people will go along with that while the going is good. Right. right. But that that's what I think David Frum sort of warns against, or right. maybe that's kind of the question. It's like, what do you do when you're being favored right. and you're a in a pretty with good the position? Devil, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that we, we all need to look out for. And I understand and sympathetic towards people who still feel kind of terrified for their own minority group and, you know, things like that. Like, I understand where they're coming from. And yet I think it's uh, kind of a moral imperative for us to be able to move beyond that, even though it is a difficult thing. Right. I I think my takeaway from this is we're living in scary times. And I think 2019 is a very complicated time to be a religious Zionist American because it's very difficult to know where your allegiances should lie or who you should support, how you should support. You want to support Israel, but you also want to support um, other oppressed minorities. And it's not so simple to have one person or path or party that is going to encapsulate your views. I mean, that's part of the comp- that's part of what's hard about a two-party system where you have to choose. It's, it's a binary right. as opposed to like in Israel or a parliamentary system where you have 15 parties. There would probably be a party that would be like you know, no way. Whatever. <laughs> Ask Israelis. <laughs> but no, but anyway. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, the, I think that the, the idea that it's hard to be a religious Zionist American, whatever, in 2019, like I think about like, you know, if it were 1919, I think it'd be probably a little harder. Uh, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I think like these things are difficult and these things are complicated and working out, we all have, you know, 40 interests and we're trying to sort of balance like who we support or don't support. And I think that the sort of best thing for, for all of us, as sad as it is to say, is to, is to really be wary of anyone who purports to support our community and to lead our community, even if they're a part of our community. You know, I think of a lot of Jewish Zionist politicians who I'm pretty uncomfortable with their support, right? Think about like, um, you know, local council people in Berkeley or in, you know, Muncie or, you know, like I I don't think they're more my people necessarily than other people are. So I think this is a little bit confusing. I think it's important to be skeptical of, of people in that way. But it's also, I think, very important, the takeaway for me from this is it's also very important to, be, to try to be open-minded and understanding, especially of other Jews who have views that are different from ours, and to try yeah. to understand and sympathize where those views are coming okay, from. Okay, so, so understanding and loving towards fellow commoners and uh, skeptical towards politicians. How about oh, that? Oh, well, <laughs> I'll take that, sure. Okay, great. 
All right. And of course, the conversation does not end with us. We want to hear what all of you think. Uh, please be in touch with us. Send us an email at talkingtalklesspodcast at gmail.com. We loved getting all your emails about fish. We love getting all your emails from past weeks. And it's just really exciting, especially, by the way, when you have topic suggestions. We love being a part of that conversation with you. And of course, join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Bye.